I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Located in Central Florida, Reformation Bible College seeks to equip students in the knowledge of God and His holiness, that they may glorify and enjoy Him in any career they enter. The founder of RBC, Dr. R.C. Sproul, carefully designed the curriculum to provide students with a classical education that is distinctly Reformed. In addition to receiving a firm theological foundation in the Reformed tradition, students have the opportunity to grow as they know, serve, and worship the Lord together in community with like-minded believers. Whether attending a weekly chapel service, catching up with a neighbor in the on-campus residence hall, or meeting with a professor at the cafe, NRBC Education provides students with plenty of opportunities to take the biblical truth learned in the classroom and put it into daily practice. Incoming students can win a full tuition scholarship for their first year of on-campus studies through RBC's annual essay contest. This year, students are invited to submit essays on themes related to the Apostles' Creed. Entries must be received by March 1st, 2024, so start writing today and enter to win at reformationbiblecollege.org slash essay. If you'd like more information about RBC, visit reformationbiblecollege.org or send an email to admissions at reformationcollege.org. Hello and welcome to Dwell, a Circe Institute podcast for homeschool moms by homeschool moms. I'm Karen Kern and I'm here today with my co-host Renee Mathis. Hi Renee. Hey Karen, it's good to see you. You came back from Cersei Conference. Yeah, we were at a regional in Atlanta and now we're back home and back at all the things, but it was good. And actually today we have a guest with us who was one of the speakers at the regional conference and that is Greg Wilbur. Hi Greg. Hi Karen, good to see you. Good to see you too. Thanks for being with us today. So by way of introduction, um, Greg is a founder of New College Franklin, 
a college that focuses on the classics and the several seven liberal arts and the spiritual formation of their students. He is a master in music composition and is author of Glory and Honor, the Music and Legacy of Johann Sebastian Bach and has writings in other places and other books. He is a composer, a speaker at classical conferences. As I said, he was just at our regional in Atlanta and he was a winner a few years ago of the Padilla Prize. And um, he lives in Tennessee with his wife, Eleanor and daughter, Sophia. And we're so glad that you're with us. Oh, I got that wrong. Actually reverse, but yeah, yeah. Oh. Wife Sophie, daughter Eleanor. I don't know why I thought that. Why? Okay, to get it right, wife Sophia and daughter Eleanor. <laughs> so <laughs> thank you for being with us today. And um, just to jump right in with a question. Mm-hmm. Um, imagine that you're speaking to a young mom. Maybe she has younger kids and she knows that music is important, but she didn't really have a good background in music herself. She's not very knowledgeable about it. And she wants to offer something to her children that she didn't have. Where does music fit in the classical curriculum for her? Uh, That's a great question. I think, uh, well, there's two things. One, why I would say what I would say to the young mom and then what I would say to the young mom. And um, starting with what I would say to to the mom would be um, fill your home with music. And I don't necessarily mean um, music appreciation or lessons necessarily right away or um, um, some sort of historical curriculum or whatever, but just have music a part of your daily life. And part of that is uh, the... um, almost kind of enculturation or narrative aspect of your family, not just, well, I know that these, you know, works, Mozart, Bach, these are important. So I'm going to fill my home with these pieces. That's yes, that's a part of it for sure. Uh, But it's also hymns. It's also chant, definitely folk songs, Um, being able to sing together or listen to music or even associate different music with different, um, different times of the year or different uh, holidays um, and, and and just making that just a general part of what you do in the family. And so that the, the, um, the idea being um, and the idea behind that being um, a love of and a cultivation of those things, which are beautiful. And the, the thought behind that would be, you know, with, with early Greek education, the idea of gymnastics and music, one was the training of the body um, with regards to uh, the gymnastics and music education in the muses, literally, is, is you know, for the Greeks was history and poetry and dance and astronomy. And, uh, of course, music is part of that. But all those things were telling a story. You know, it was, it was the enculturation aspect of this is who we are. This is who we are as a people. These are the things that we love. These are the things that represent us. And so even you know, part of that is, you know, what represents your family? What are the songs that represent your family that, that were important to your grandmother, you know, that, that your mom sang to you and that you're passing down to your own child? And those things, I think, over time, you know, develop a love for and an interest in what music is. So, and then you can talk about other further steps. But I think first of all, most of all, is just have music available. Well, now it's so convenient thanks to things like Spotify and, you know, right. we have 
we have this not me personally some that have alexa you can just tell alexa to play mozart or something so um but the choices are almost overwhelming in, in that because like you know where do you start learning about classical music or appreciation mm -hmm. so I, I really appreciate your encouragement to just fill your home with the music and that and that's part of who your family is that and that is we can do that we can start be singing too right like yes. for example um you know my son-in-law alec he has such a beautiful voice and he just sings all the time and he sings and they sing in the car and they sing in the house and so my granddaughters who are four and six they just sing all the time and i know because i know him and he likes to teach he probably every now and again was particularly their do they they sing the liturgy so they sing the liturgy in the car you know he might say oh you got that note wrong let's redo that but it's all it's all very natural and they love mm -hmm. it so much they're just singing all the time right well yeah and and you know there's something that you know literally resonates with with order in the beauty of music and so there's something that uh that we we um, are attracted to that and so being able to participate in that it, and without making it necessarily a study or a formal instruction, uh, but by building up this repertoire so that when you do have formal instruction, you have things to point to, mm. you know, and you, I mean, you can talk about how a melody goes up and how it goes down and where it moves and things like that, but that doesn't necessarily, especially with the early ages, that doesn't have to be a, you know, a lesson, a, a very specific curriculum, but just, just begin to notice what you're listening to. And being able to find words to talk about it, even if they're not the right, you know, quote, right musical terms, you can still identify the sense of, you know, it, does this piece, um, does this piece of music comes to, to come to a place of rest? Or is it unfinished? You know, where, where does this feel like this needs to go? How do you, how do you kind of intuitively feel that? Uh, and that gives you a repertoire, not only of music, but of also ways to talk about it. So that when you do formalize some of that, in the study of music, I mean, I, I, I tried um, to teach my daughter music when she was younger. And it's, it, it's um, you know, you, you have written notes on a page. And we were working with piano. You have written notes on a page, uh, and you've got the, the, uh, the staffs on the page that go up and down, right? You've got notes that are up and down. But we're sitting in front of a piano in which the notes go, quote, up and down by going left or right which is a different movement than what you're seeing on the page. Mm -hmm. uh, where do you put physically, you know, your fingers that are able to make those notes? Uh, and then what's so you, there's, there's a, it's difficult. Um, there's a bit of a disconnect between what are you seeing? What are you physically doing with your hands? What, what is this instrument in front of me, whether it's a string instrument or, or um, piano, et cetera, that, you know, ultimately, you know, something clicks and you realize that all of these things are speaking of the same idea. But I think especially for a young mind, there's a disconnect between what's going on in the page and what's going on through your fingers and what you're hearing. And so if you can develop that sense of the, the, the oral aspect and the participatory aspect, then those other things make more sense. And then when those things click, it's like, oh, these are all connected. And I'm seeing you know, this, this dot on the page represents this key on the piano represents this sound. Um, then things begin to make a lot more sense, but that, that takes time. You feel like you're entering the same, 
you know, you're, you're entering the same house from all different uh, from all different doors, and you're not even sure that it's the same house. Yeah, you know, I think cats are like that. I've, I've heard that cats <laughs> don't know that if they go out one door, if they come in the other door, that they're in the same place. So it's, <laughs> you, you just go like you know, you're entering, you're trying to enter into the same space, but every door seems like a completely different, completely different house. Mm. Oh, Greg, am I hearing you make an argument then that choral music or, or just just singing is the best place to start because we all have a voice and we can use it. And as Christian classical educators, I would say we're mostly going to church on Sunday, so we have a lot of chances to practice. Right. Absolutely. And I think and there's, there's a way, too, I mean, depending upon um, uh, your tradition, your liturgy, too, you know, is it possible to, to know what music is coming up that Sunday so that you can even sing that in your home ahead of time? You know, what are, what are the songs? Uh, what are the chants? What's the, what's the, what are the things which are, are um, uh, a part of the culture and the nature of your church? So, you know, if you're in a hymn singing church or something, you know, what, are, what are the ones that you sing a lot? What are the things that mean a lot to you? to the congregation how can you um you know, have that sense of identity that church identity as well as in your home that these are the songs that we sing and there is you know there is there is there's no uh, substitute for um being inside of a piece of music in terms of participating in it as opposed to listening to it just listening to it being being inside you know especially if there's opportunities for for um uh, part singing with other people that you recognize where your part fits in with other with other parts and you don't you don't just get that if you're just listening to it but when you're having to fit your voice in with the other voices and see how they interplay that gives you a whole different appreciation for you know, in some ways to the body of christ that we all have we all have different voices different parts to play and and the um, the total is much greater than the sum of the parts when all those things come together it's a very orga- it seems like a very organic way of of um nurturing your child's spiritual formation you know because yes. you're it's where all those all those songs all that isn't just for church you know it, we bring that into our house and it's it's a very simple and really easy way of of bringing the of of what we do at home is the same as what we do at church, and we participate in both places. Right, right, and there's not there's not a disconnect. It's not uh, you know these this is what we sing on Sunday, and this is what we sing on other days. But this is part of part of our home, part of mm-hmm. our family. Um, there's other music that's a part of that as well. I think you know it's one of the things I that hopefully helps too. Um, you know, in, in various, um, especially Protestant traditions. We've lost the we've lost the recognition of where particular types or places or or where music should be. You know, we don't have the same uh, I, communal settings, whether it was a pub or a coffee house or something in which the community gathered and sang certain songs there, or songs within the home, or work songs, and here's liturgical songs. I mean, because we don't necessarily have those other venues, a lot of that music that we resonate with one way or other has been imported into church because that's the only communal place we have for music. And we've lost that distinction of what is really liturgical. Uh, the aesthetic is for the purpose of worship as opposed to um, music that has other purpose and other aesthetics, which are wonderful around the campfire or um, with 
your friends in some sort of, of informal setting, but maybe not necessarily appropriate for Sunday morning worship. And so you're know, cultivating all of those, but then also recognizing the distinction between where those where those various uh, spheres of of, uh, of music fall, based you know a lot on on the uh, aesthetic intent uh, as well. Let's take a moment to jump in here with some information from our friends at St. Constantine College. Individual mentorship, Socratic discussion groups, courses based on primary texts, a rural campus, minutes from downtown Houston. St. Constantine College is a holistic institution committed to helping students flourish fully as scholars, citizens, and souls. St. Constantine College welcomes small cohorts to a big city and offers a world-class great text education at a low cost. To learn more, visit stconstantinecollege.org. That's really a, a neat challenge, for our, especially for our young moms and, and who have little kids and thinking about how their what their homeschool community might be looking like um, to find places together and sing songs with other families that mm-hmm. just like you just said let, let's bring some how can we bring some of that back that's that's, that's really beautiful that to, to enjoy music outside of church but to actually participate and and right. you know, get those parents to dust off their guitars or <laughs> to play in college and you know have a little sing-along maybe and and some good fellowship around that well when my dad when my mom and dad were in in uh, uh growing up and going to public school in the when would that have been like the the uh, the fifties, forties, uh, fifties, music was required. Everybody had to take music classes. This is public school, and so everybody learned to sing in some form or another. And it, it's fascinating to me too. Just over time, like even when, when we have um, a choral service at church, you know, the people that are more likely to come are uh, older older folks and. Um, homeschool families that have uh, more of an interest in music with regards to what they're teaching their own children. But there's a whole swath of folks who just don't have that experience or that understanding or that background that uh, the idea of going to a choral um, concert or service is not the same kind of priority because they, they don't, they, there's a gap there from their own education. And that's really sad. I think that it, they've, they're missing out on something just because they don't. It's not. It's not been regularized as a part of their own upbringing. And so that's a complex part of the idea too. It's like this is this is normal. You get together with people and you sing, and uh, and not just sing um, to yourself in your car or with whatever is currently playing through your uh, your ear, ear buds, which nobody else can hear but you. You know, we've we've kind of we've we've individualized music and taken away from it being a communal um, communal practice, and that's that's a significant loss. I mean, Bach would want to in in uh, Leipzig, the place where he uh, uh, served the most, and that's where he taught, and he was working with the churches there. It was a place called Zimmerman's Coffee House, and it was basically a coffee house and uh, and and um, uh, pub. There was yeah, uh, a beer garden. And uh, coffee was relatively new too. So, but, but but it was a gathering place. It's where people went, gathered, met with one another, socialized, drank beer, drank coffee, etc. Um, but there was a kind of in-house group of musicians that people would jump in and play whatever. And some of some of his compositions he wrote for this community gathering of musicians within the context of this uh, 
of this gathering place. And that's a beautiful thing. We, we don't really have anything that's analogous to that, which is really sad, I think. It is sad. It's like one of the downsides of technology because, you know, it used to be that all music that w- if you were hearing music, you were hearing it live. And right. so you were in the room with the musicians and, you know, now, of course, it doesn't have to be like that. You can everybody can be in the car with different ear pods on listening to different music all by themselves. When, well, when we would take road trips and, you know, we would have all the, the old, do you remember the We Sing cassette tapes? Oh, yes. yes. Well, so our kids grew up listening to those. And then when they, when the older ones started to become teenagers, we didn't let them, nobody in the car was allowed to have their ear things in. And so everybody had to just be listening to the same thing. I'm sure that under their hoodies, sometimes I actually had some wire. <laughs> but everybody was listening to the same thing in the car and often singing along to the mm-hmm. we sing but you know with the onset of technology it can it it it's like you said the a lot of the communal aspect of music is gone but you know the thing about what you just described is not only did were they learning what they were hearing uh, they also i'm pretty sure if you asked any of them have a memory of that that together in the car they were listening oh, yeah. to that Oh, over yeah. the years and singing together. I mean, that, that has become then a family memory. That's a part of your family culture because, because that's what you do. Now, so it's not just the music itself. I mean, you can tell a child to go listen to a list of music, but that's far different than saying, hey, let's go to a concert together or let's, let's listen to this together. And, and your, your comment about uh, you know, being in the same room as a musician is, is dead on too. There, there's a, it's a whole different experience when you see music being made as opposed to just hearing it i mean we we can see the movement of the musician when you can see the anticipation of the start of a note or when you see a a singer breathe and or choir when they breathe together and yeah there's a you just can't capture that in the same way through a recording whether it's a um, you know it's a video or audio and so that 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 um, aspect of being there live to see it happen, I think is, is really significant in, in understanding music. And I think that can encourage a love for it in children when they see that. Mm-hmm. Now, when they see, oh, I could do that. Yeah. Well, when you see people enjoying what they're doing, you know, mm-hmm. you know, when you listen to something, you don't see them whether they're enjoying it or not, or whether it's just work or drudgery, you know. But when you see uh, when you see musicians playing together, and you see the nonverbal communication between them, and you know all those all those other things, those intangible elements, which are you know maybe even inaudible, but contribute so much to uh, to the sound to the music itself. Mm. I'm going to ask you a question, and, and this might seem like it doesn't apply to our moms with you know small young children, but in order to kind of give us that vision and help us look forward. You know, the trivium is followed by the quadrivium. And of mm-hmm. course, one of the, the arts of the quadrivium is harmony. And so you, you've already told us that, yes, we need to saturate our homes with, with music, even when our children are little. But as a classical educating mom, and I'm looking forward to, okay, high school or college, what what part does the art of harmony play in classical education? Because it's up there with, you know, astronomy, and those are like the hard subjects. And it seems like we've all of a sudden taken a huge leap from folk songs to the art of harmony. So can you tell us how that fits in? Right. Well, 
here, you know, one of the interesting things about the uh, the nine muses as well um, is that astronomy is one of those as well. So music uh, as um, as part of the education of the muses as a child versus astronomy as part of the quadrivium is kind of the same. I think the same kind of situation there. Um, and I think part of it, it it's it's a difference of kind. I think like when I see astronomy in the uh, with regards to gymnastics and music, I, I think that's the, you know the stories, the stories of the constellations, the mythology that goes along with the spheres, and it's once again it's the aspect of who we are. Um, with the music at that level, here are the things that we love. Here's this training in beauty. Here's this training of the affections. Uh, when you when you move on, and then from there too, I don't want to I don't want to skip over this. Uh, that sh- hopefully will lead to things like well, direct conversation about music and music appreciation and aspects of music history that can be woven into all sorts of of, uh, of, of curricula and as you as you work through various years uh, with the quadrivium specifically yeah, the um, art of astronomy of, of harmony within the quadrivium uh, sometimes is taken to be essentially music theory i don't think that's the case uh, you, you are certainly dealing with the mathematical aspects with what music theory doesn't even typically deal with that, but you're dealing with the aspect of, of, of numbers and, and how numbers sound. And so you're dealing with relationships, but harmony in the, um, in the quadrivial sense uh, has uh, applications to cosmic harmony, um, instrumental music, heard music, which we're most familiar with, but also um, the heart, you know, on a personal soul level. So, you know, when scripture talks about having a, a pure heart or an undivided heart, that's also harmony with regards to, um, you know, what's your, uh, what's your schedule, what's your diet, what's your spiritual life? And then from the beyond that, are you living in harmony with the people in your home? Are you living in harmony with the people that you go to school with, that you go to work with? And, and so the, 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 the example of that, is what we've studied and what we've learned to love through the music that we've heard. We understand, hopefully, to some degree, what order is, what it's supposed to be like. And that gives us a love for an orderliness with regards to our our soul, um, spiritual life, our relationships, um, the the cosmic element, which is you know living harmoniously in um, in our surroundings, living harmoniously with with creation. Um, living harmoniously with with the cosmos uh, as exemplified by music, but it's not solely uh, solely music itself. Does that uh, that does that kind of makes sense? I think so. It's it's the foundation for all of that. Um, but the quadrivium itself is it, just it starts with music as the foundation and the mathematical aspects of why music sounds the way it does. And so all of that listening, all that preparation uh, feeds into that. But then it just goes far beyond that into uh, uh, a principle that connects all sorts of other aspects of, of life. So if, um, if our children, as they grow up, if they choose to enjoy or listen to or participate in music that... Um, I don't really know how to express it. So I'll just say is not harmonious. 
is more, is more violent or is, um, I, I don't want to sound judgy, so I won't, <laughs> but like, we all know that like, there's, right. there's going to be music that if our list kids listen to it, we're going to be distressed by the right. language in it, by the lack mm-hmm. of harmony, by the lack of, um, the, by the lack of the expression of truth, goodness, and beauty. So it's kind of the opposite of what you're saying. In right. terms of, you know, mus- the harmony of music spreads out into our whole life, while the disharmony or the chaos can also do that. So, you know, what do you think about that? Yeah, well, I think that's a great question. And um, there are, I, I, I think our minds probably turn to like a specific genre or something, whether we're, you know, um, um, uh, maybe somebody might be thinking about heavy metal or, you know, particular bands or so forth or some sort of movement. I, I think there is just as much a potential. I mean, here, well, here's the premise too. Um, if music is ordering, then it trains our affections. Mm-hmm. And so what we listen to is training our affections in some way and shaping us in some way. Um, but I think it's also just as significant to talk about um some of the 20th century, um, what would be considered classical music or art music, kind of that line of things, which is chaotic, uh, which is more noise than music, uh, which is uh, undermining principles of sound. That also is is um, is a disharmony. Um, there is also music which is, oh, I can't think of a good word for this right now, overly harmonious from the sense that it, that it's deadening you know that it that it actually um, um, moves us away from contemplation or thought and just um, uh, kind of deadens the uh, uh, our, our senses and 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 that would be you know whether that's you know new new age music or soundscapes or so forth mm-hmm. um, and I'm not trying to pick on particular genres because I'm sure you could People can find examples in, in all of those that they, they say, well, this contradicts. And that's the thing that we can have those conversations. But so I don't, it's not, it's not so simple as to say this genre is, um, you know, inappropriate in one way or another. And and there are some that lean more towards that. But the thing is that it, it, it's, um, when, when you have, when your soul is being shaped, you're much more aware of those other influences. Uh, two examples spring to mind. I was uh, teaching, uh, I had a homeschool co-op that I started a number of years ago <clears throat> before uh, before new college days. And uh, one of the kids in the co-op was, um, uh, he was into some, um, I think I think it was heavy metal basically, but but he, he knew that when he listened to it, he was doing so to fuel anger. Mm-hmm. So he consciously knew what he was doing. So he, he was aware. And I, um, Part of part of the co-op, I was having them listen to different pieces of music, and I was, I at that particular time for various reasons, I, I chose these loud, bombastic pieces that I thought might you know kind of resonate a bit, like whole um, um, uh, Mars from the planets, which is you know pretty driving and intense. Um, but no matter what I played, no matter what I had listened to, his response was always, "That's so peaceful, that's so calm." And I'm thinking, this is like this torrential movement and of loud and you know contrast of and but compared to what he was listening to, but he knew the difference, and and he was you know could articulate that. Uh, so part of that 
maybe willful as opposed to um you know in terms of of uh, of uh, that being kind of slipping into that for soul um, soul affecting aspects I, another one would be a, a student recently because we talked about music because we talked about how music worked because i had him listen to other types of pieces he could no longer in good conscience spiritually listen to some of the music that he had been listening to before and so i didn't yeah, i didn't i didn't talk against that i didn't i uh, didn't teach against that um but by introducing other things it made him reevaluate um and realize the effect that other types of music was having on him and so he began to adjust the things that he was listening to on his own i think there, there's a sense too that you know it's it's not um it's not very helpful to just say to someone stop this thing in your life whether that's you know food exercise music whatever you know this practice you know uh, there needs to be some sort of of movement towards replacement of and so even the idea of like okay you're listening you're listening to this genre this music i don't really love that uh, but here's some other music and let's listen to this as well you know let's let's expand this the this circle a bit and i've seen it time and time again when that circle gets expanded that those um, those things which are representations of a harmony and order begin to push out push out the other that makes sense it does um i wanted to ask you about um so very basic ages <clears throat> to start formal training. Because um, when I taught third grade, I had a lot of students in my classes who were just beginning piano. And it seemed to make sense because that's also when they're learning to read. So that, or they know how to read, but mm -hmm. like, you know, it seems like maybe I'm guessing here for piano, it's good for children to, to have the skill of reading, interpreting, interpreting signs. Mm -hmm. um, but I also seen uh, my grandson learned violin before he could read. And it, but it's, you know, it just seems like it, so many kids in our in our local co-op, um, they all start with violin. Whereas when I was growing up, everybody start, well, I think everybody started with piano. So right. I, I think it feels like violin maybe has a advantage for for young younger ones. Is that true? Is that uh, is that Suzuki method in terms of how they start violin? I think it is because I don't yeah. I don't think right away they weren't learning they weren't really learning to read notes, right? Doing it by ear, and they were right. Um, you know, and a child who has I don't know I think Jeremiah, one of my grandsons, says he is he has a good ear, and he he picked it up very quickly. Well, and that kind of goes back to what I was saying too in terms of of. Um, of learning to play or, or appreciate or participate in music without necessarily learning the notes first. So those can come later, but now you've got something to, to build out. Oh, this sound looks like this, but for a while you're just playing with the sound. So I, I think probably violin has a number of, of uh, advantages um, in the more recent days. I think it's probably less expensive than buying a piano and uh, people don't have as many pianos in their home or maintaining them as well. Uh, Violins can also come <clears throat> at various sizes. Mm -hmm. So obviously, especially with the younger ones, when you start them out, so you have a small violin that fits small hands. Mm -hmm. A piano keyboard is unforgiving in that regard. You know, 
it's hard depending upon the size of your hand or your fingers or your strength of your finger you know in terms of being able to um to um, stretch over the keys you know that has a that has another thing one thing about a uh, violin also which may have an advantage and i'm a pianist and so i'm not i'm not speaking against piano i mean i love piano but um one thing about violin as well is there's no uh fixed frets and so you know to get the note like you said to have a good ear you have to find the note on the string and so at the same time you're also training your ear to what is harmonious mm-hmm. and uh, and what is not and so you're by the bare fact of not hey you need to adjust those notes one way or the other but you know what the melody is supposed to sound like and if you're trying to reproduce that melody you're going to have to make those adjustments and so you're 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 you know subconsciously uh, doing those things as well um, so i think it probably cost is one thing um classes it's you know when you have a suzuki class or a violin class there's usually more people there a piano is a very individual type of uh, activity um it's a great skill to have and um and you know that's a there's a good advantage there uh, another thing too is is uh, recorders um, as well i mean that's a that's a, a good place to start i think part of though the uh, recorders have a poor reputation because there's been too many translucent pink versions out there you know plastic yeah <laughs> um but you know the, the recorder was a legitimate instrument yeah before the uh before what we think of as the flute the transverse flute so i mean you, you can google online like a vivaldi um recorder concerto and it's masterful um so it's it's a legit instrument it just seems it's been um yeah pink plastic hasn't done us any favor in that regard <laughs> but at the same time i mean if 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 it's, if it's a pink or purple sparkly recorder that gets somebody to play um that's uh that's helpful too and that's also a really easy entering entry point um but you know it's the consistency too and there's you know there's muscle memory involved it's not just cognitive uh to all those things so i think you know, back to your point the age is 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 the cognitive but it's also the 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 muscle um, aspect as well, and the, even the size of hands and fingers. Yeah, that's a good point. Really helpful. Thank you. I, I feel like you've given us a wonderful vision for what our homes can sound like, which is a place we can all start to how we can help our kids learn to even play music for themselves and uh, what to look forward to as they get older. So thank you, Greg, for being here. And and we wish you the best in all your your college endeavors and your composing endeavors and whatever musical uh, projects you have going on right now. Um, How can, how can our listeners find out more about you? I mean, do you have a a website or a a place you direct people? Like what's Greg up to these days? Yeah. Uh, Well, I do, I do have a website. It's, it's um, wilbermusic.com. Uh, W-I-L-B-U-R music.com. And that's where uh, I post, well, if I actually post, but that's where news about uh, uh, music or new releases and things like that. And uh, also uh, she music and choral music and, and other uh, other connecting points there. Okay. And new col- is it newcollegefranklin.edu? Newcollegefranklin.edu. Mm-hmm. New for your other endeavors. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us here on Dwell. We wish you the best and here's to home. Thank you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 